0: Yes, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy to open the scroll. For you are the lamb who is slain. And we ascribe to you all glory, all honor, all praise, all wisdom, all might, forever and ever. You are worthy. And we thank you that you are working, working in our hearts and working in the hearts of Israel. Help us to pray for her, to long for her salvation, to take hold of the covenant In your blood and accept Messiah Jesus. Oh, how we long for Zion, Father, would you bless her? Turn your face toward her. Just as you've turned towards us and graciously given us your Son, Jesus, we thank you. Now, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts as we hear your word, illuminate it. Give Pastor Rick boldness and wisdom to proclaim your truth. Give us ears to hear and let us do what your word says. Jesus, you are worthy. Be lifted high on the praises of your people this morning. And Jesus, it's in your worthy name that all God's people said amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship.
1: faith, what is it? Being sure of our hope, convinced of what we can't see. By faith, we understand the world was set in order at God's command. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain, and for his faith, God commended him as righteous. By faith, Noah trusted God and constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, believing God would still fulfill his promises. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. By faith, God's chosen nation crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and praised him as it swallowed up the Egyptians. By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped destruction because she welcomed the spies in peace. Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, David, and the prophets. By faith, they administered justice shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire. But others were imprisoned, murdered, and wandered in deserts, mountains, and openings in the earth. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So get rid of every weight, of every sin, and run. Run with endurance the race set before us. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the champion and guide of our faith. For promised joy, he endured the cross, thought nothing of its shame. And having risen again, has been handed his deserved glory at the right hand of the throne of God.
2: I welcome you to Crosspoint Church. If you're newer to our fellowship, we have been in Hebrews 11 for a while. We're going to finish up Hebrews 11 study today. If you read Hebrews 11, you will see God give us example after example of people who have trusted his words. God defines faith as uncompromising confidence in his word. God is pleased when every one of us bank on his promises, even if it doesn't make sense to us, or we experience them in our lifetime. As you've heard, there's Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Last week, we looked at the nation of Israel and Rahab, and all these folks demonstrated the type of faith by believing in God's promises. I think we have an exciting conclusion to our study today. But before we do, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are God. We thank you that you are king. We thank you that you are sovereign. Lord, even as we speak those words, it troubles some of us. How is it that you can be in control of everything, and yet we look around puzzled? God, we know that our ways are not your ways, and and our thoughts are not your thoughts. So God, give us faith. Help us hear your voice. Help us obey you. And help us trust you for the future, for tomorrow. God, we are so grateful that you love us and that you sent your son to die in our place. He shed his blood to pay our debt for sin, to satisfy your wrath. This is an unbelievable salvation. We're justified. And Lord, you are sanctifying us. You are making us holy. You're chipping away the things in our life, Father, that, will don't glorify you. Things that, well, don't allow us to mirror you well to others. We're so grateful for your patience with us. Father, we pray for churches in our area. We know, God, that the gospel is given out. We know, Lord, that these churches love you. We pray for Casa de Rosion and for the chapel and for Grace Point. We ask you, dear God, that you would work in these churches congregations and these flocks, that they would be salt and light all over Lake County and Chicagoland and maybe the world. Father, this last week, we are able to, um, well, distribute 143 Christmas child boxes. God, this is an unbelievable act of generosity by our people. We know, God, that they filled these boxes with love. They put gifts in. We know these boxes are going all over the world. I pray for those who are distributing them. I pray, dear God, for the ones who are presenting them. I pray for the churches that you would use these boxes to encourage the folks surrounding their churches. We pray, God, that you would use these boxes to bring a great harvest of souls, that there would be not only one or two, but hundreds and perhaps thousands and maybe even millions who come to faith because they've heard the good news that your word would change them. Father, we pray for all the kids who are downstairs and the teachers there and for all the ministries that happened this week. We ask you, dear God, that you would be honored and that we would glorify you. Now, Lord, as we open up this text, as we look um, at Hebrews 11 and the first part of Hebrews 12, I I pray, Lord, that you would excite us. I pray that... uh, These wouldn't be my words. I pray that your spirit would take them and use them and transform us. God, we are so grateful that you gave us the scriptures and that we can hear from you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you could turn your Bibles and your flats or your flat screens to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 32, but let me just remind you again, God is so pleased when we trust him, when he speaks and we obey. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Some of you, we, we've been taking one verse at a time or at least one person at a time. Every once in a while, we would maybe group a few together in Hebrews chapter 11 So if we began talking about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all of the prophets, we would be here for a while. But they are all listed, and I would encourage you even to go back and read their stories because they are listed because of what they accomplished through faith, Some are well-known, but others not so much. Ordinary people who did great things because of their faith. But as you look at them, and and even as I name some of them, you're scratching your head. Because these people have plenty of flaws. Why would God put them in the chapter of faith? Yet their weaknesses were turned into strengths because of faith in God's word and in God. Now, although some of you will be thinking after we finish this chapter,
1: there's a lot of heroes
2: that seem to be missing. Well, I think God is making the point. We have enough. There are enough names here, enough examples here of the point that I'm making God says, I am pleased when we trust Him. But then there's Hebrews 11 35. Faith in God, if we would stop right here, seems pretty good. These folks are pretty successful, they were pretty powerful. But faith in God doesn't guarantee safety or comfort. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting the last part of verse 35. But, but, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing sheeps of skin and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God has promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. You know, the sacred scriptures say that these nameless Heroes, they were tortured. Tortured because they refused to, well, renege on God. They were jeered and mocked and whipped. They were chained in prison, stoned. Most of us know how ugly that would be. But the saw in half part, That that had to catch your attention. Stabbed to death, destitute, oppressed, mistreated. They were nomads. They hid in caves and in holes. These nameless heroes, the scriptures say, were too good for this world. They placed their hope in the life after resurrection. That's going to be key. We're going to come back to this over and over again today. But all these people, they all earned God's respect because of their faith. Now, again, I'm not sure where everyone's relationship is with God. And maybe not pleasing God or pleasing God is not a big deal to you. But as you grow in relationship, one of the things that God changes in your heart is the ability and the desire to please Him. To want to please Him more and more and more. So these folks all earned God's respect. But none of them received all that God has promised. And and we've talked about that but that seems like a bum deal. All these people some who are named, some who aren't named. Those in verses 32 to 35, those that accomplished great feats. And those who are in verses 35 to 39, who suffered and died. All these people, they trusted God. God applauds those whose hope is in the life after the resurrection. Over and over, we're going to be talking about priorities. What is our focus? What is the most important thing? And God's going to remind all those who are of faith, you know, when your priority, when your thoughts are about, well, after we're resurrected things are going to change. For God had something better in mind for us. And what I want to say is all of us. And if you look especially at the last two verses, which is the lower part on your screen, you're going to look at these verses and say, wow, these are, these are hard to understand. This is not an easy text, especially the last line or two. But let's try to put it in context, all right? Remember that this is at the end of the chapter. And originally, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. That was done basically for our benefit, all right? So this was written down, and God says that he was pleased with All of these Old Testament saints, whether they were named or not, because of their faith in God's word, in his promises. We know their flaws, or at least some of them. We scratch our heads. But God said, I'm pleased with them. It was their faith that saved them. It was their faith that justified them. One example the Apostle Paul uses in Romans chapter 4 in verse 3 and in verse 5 uses one of these hall of faithers, Abraham. And Paul writes this, For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. But people are counted as righteous. Not because of their works, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Paul is talking about Abraham. A man that lived well before the Messiah came. And well before Jesus, the perfect sacrifice was sacrificed. Now some folks may be confused about the way people were redeemed before the cross. You hear different stories. Well, there's a kind of a different God uh, before the crucifixion, and a little bit more gracious and loving God after the crucifixion. But let me share with you that entrance into God's family happens the same way during Old Testament times. And it was by God's grace through faith. They, those before the cross, looked forward to a Savior or Messiah who would take away their sins in the same way we look back to a Savior who shed his blood as the perfect Lamb of God. Let's focus on some Old Testament saint truths, which you may not have realized. But the Old Testament saints could have their sins forgiven. The apostle Paul, again, writing in Romans chapter 4, quotes David. David's quote comes from Psalm 32. But in Romans 4, starting at verses 6 through 8, this is what Paul writes. David also spoke of this, this righteousness by faith. When he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Those who lived before the cross could have their sins forgiven. Those before the cross also received and lived by the Spirit. We see that all the way through the Old Testament. Kings had the Spirit. Prophets had the Spirit. Judges had the Spirit. But there was a difference. Whereas today, once we come to faith, every believer has the Holy Spirit begin to indwell them. In the Old Testament times, the Spirit was in dwelling people for certain times, for certain tasks, for certain reasons. It is true, not every believer had access to the Spirit, but some did. I don't know if you remember in Psalm 51, verse 11, David said this He's talking about his relationship with God. And and he says, don't banish me, God, from your presence. And and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, Father. I I know what that's like. I know what living by the Spirit is. And I think what David is saying is, "I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do it. Another thing you might not be aware of, but... When Old Testament saints died, they went to heaven. They are with God, enjoying his presence. Now now let me say this again. Although this is wonderful, it's still not all that it will be. Asaph, a worship director under the inspiration of the um, Spirit, writes in Psalm 73, verse 24. He says, You guide me with your counsel, God, leading me to a glorious destiny. Or we could interpret it after you will take or receive me into glory. What a promise. By faith, Old Testament believers had their sins forgiven. They knew the power and the presence of the Spirit. They went to heaven or glory when they died. But here's the key. Old Testament believers did not receive all that God has promised. But neither have we. At the end of this scripture, we read... God's promise is that something better is coming. Both those before the cross and after the cross, both those who are God-fearers, we both live and die still looking forward to what God has promised, to something better which is coming. Let me put this a little bit in perspective. Actually, Jesus also experienced this while he was here on the earth. He experienced the waiting. He preached, as you read or read in the Gospels, that the kingdom of God had arrived. But the fullness of the kingdom wouldn't come to fruition until he returns. Jesus did give us a taste of eternity. What that will look like. Eternity will be a place where we have perfect fellowship with the Father. And Jesus experienced that, able to talk to God, please God. Do all of God the Father's will. It will be a place with no sickness or death. That's why Jesus restored health. Gave the lame the ability to walk and the blind the ability to see. And he brought people back to life. Because in the kingdom to come, there's no sickness, there's no death. So Old Testament believers who have died are waiting for us, us, to finish our race. So we can all experience the perfect. All that God has planned for us, they are waiting. Those who have died, Abraham is waiting to receive his new resurrection body, just like all of us will receive when Jesus comes back. They're waiting for Christ's return as King of kings and Lord of lords, so we can all enter the fullness of eternity together. They're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, presence with God right now is wonderful. Heaven is great. But nothing what God has planned for each one of us. So really, what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Finish your race. Finish the race it's important we want to go together and enter eternity look at hebrews chapter 12 starting at verse 1 again it's a chapter cut but not as this was originally written The author, again, just went through all these different individuals. Then in chapter 12, verse 1, and again, if you mark your Bibles, I would encourage you to mark especially that first word, therefore. In other words, in light of all of the examples I just gave you, therefore, you, you Hebrew believers, where this was written, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, To the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, or him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility endured from, single, uh, from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Let's put this into context. All these witnesses, all these saints, all these folks are applauded because of their faith... They are with God. They are in heaven, but they are waiting. All these witnesses, all the saints of old, all these ordinary heroes who had faith in God's word are waiting. So, the admonition to us who are alive on this side of the cross run your race with endurance. Life is a marathon. And not a sprint. You know, I smile. The Olympics is coming up. And to be quite honest, (laughs) whether you're running or swimming, (laughs) the 50 meter, 100 meter, and maybe up to the 200 meter. But no, those short ones... You know, for swimming, it's a start and a flip. Or depending on how big your pool is. But realistically, whoa, that's the kind of race I like. Give it all, be done. Ah. But you know what? Those, there are other races and other swim events. And they're long. And they're long. And they're long. Whoa. That's what life is. Uh, Running your race is about finishing well. Some have 20 years. Some have 40 years. Some have 80 years. Some have 100 years. But in light of eternity, again, it is a marathon, but it's still short. Paul says this, as he's about ready to die, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 6. Paul writes, the time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race, or, or he endured And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. Talking about his return again. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That means we can have that prize. The author of Hebrews uses the race, the marathon. And he says this, strip off every weight that slows you down. Anything, anything that steals energy from running the race. Anything that keeps you from obeying our Lord wholeheartedly, even if it's good things. Now, to be honest, uh, track apparel has changed over the years. Some might even be offensive, to be quite honest. But the truth is this. Nobody in a 100-meter race would show up in a snowmobile suit with snowmobile boots. Now, granted, that is an unbelievable article of clothing when you're on a snowmobile, right? You want to be toasty, you want to be warm, no problem. But are you serious? The world's fastest person, female or male, lining up with that kind of apparel would be a laughing stock. There isn't any way they would win. They couldn't win. It would be impossible. So, what the author is saying is deny yourself anything that keeps you from running well. Now, now let me give you an illustration, okay? Because Paul actually gives this same advice. To the Corinthian believers. There was a church in Corinth. And basically, what he said, hey, you Corinthian believers don't eat any meat. So, oh, yeah, what's that all about? Well, again, if you know the context, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and actually in Romans 14, what Paul was talking about was meat. That was offered to idols. In Corinth, there were all kinds of temples. And in Corinth, absolutely the best meat, the best cuts of meat would come from pagan temples. Because they would only use certain parts of the animal. Then they would bring it to the market, or it's called the shambles. And they would hang the meat up. And if you wanted, you could come and get a great ribeye and a great steak and a great whatever you wanted right there. Oh, oh, oh. was that good? If you like steak. All right. Well, Paul says this. man. That is offending a lot of people. We've got some new believers, and and these new believers think that if you offer this meat to a pagan deity, well, the meat would be condemned or the meat would be wrong or, or, or we shouldn't eat that meat. Paul also says, hey, I understand that as you understand doctrine... You can't lose your salvation from eating meat that's been offered to an idol. So simply Paul says this, it's not worth it. I don't care how good the meat is. I don't care what the cut is. Don't eat the meat. Instead, uh, get a lesser cut. Or don't stand in line like everybody else. Because what Paul was really trying to say is that love strengthens the church. Not knowledge. Not because you know more. You can't flaunt this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23, Paul said this. You say, believers, I'm allowed to do anything. And you are. Once you come to faith, you can't lose your salvation. But he says, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you, Paul says. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now this is talking about not offending other weaker believers, But I think if I can put this in context, the author of Hebrews was saying, deny yourself even good things so that you might be able to run your race with the end in mind, with eternity in mind. When you do that, you don't need as much stuff. When you do that, you're going to spend your money and you're going to fill your calendar with different things because it's not about you. It's about others. Then he says, not only do you deny yourself well, maybe even good things to help you run your race, confess your sin. Because sin always trips you up. Again, picture the Olympics next summer coming. No matter who it is running, if their reputation is they take three steps and trip, three steps and trip, three steps and trip, they may not even finish the race. The person is not going to be on a team. No one's going to trust them. And this is the picture that God gives us confess your sin. Sometimes God brings sin or makes you aware of sin in your life. You're aware of sin in your life as you read the scriptures. You're aware of sin in your life as the Holy Spirit pricks your heart. Some things are black and white in the scriptures. Other times it's attitudes or situations. But God says this, sin always hurts me, God, and always hurts us. It is so amazing in Romans chapter 6 verse 6, the apostle Paul writes this. Sin used to be your master. You used to have to listen and bow down to your own selfish desires. But sin, once you come to faith, once you have the Holy Spirit living in you, has no authority over you. Romans 6, 6 and 7. He writes this, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. But when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So in our race, we confess our sin, so we quit tripping on the race. Again, perhaps a verse I use not only personally, but as I meet with people, maybe more than any other verse, it's of 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, God is a God of grace and mercy. When we confess our sin, we restore our relationship. We begin to reflect God well in our actions. And we can run our race without tripping. Now listen to this. Each one of us have a choice every day. Now the choice isn't about running a race or living our lives. It is about what we're wearing and what we're carrying in a race or as we live our lives. I think This is one of the greatest benefits of being in a community group, a small group, a life group, to have accountability. Because one of the things that often happen to each one of us is that we are blinded by sin and our selfishness. It is so good to do life together, to run together, to train together. And when one of the guys in your small group look at you and say, hmm, why are you wearing a snowmobile suit? Kind of odd. Whoa. Why don't you (laughs) get rid of that baby? It's not, not helpful. Or, whoa. There's something going on in your life and you're always wanting something new and better. And one of the gals in your group looks at you and say, whoa, do you understand how much you covet? I, I don't covet! Well, um, actually you do. Whenever we get together, you're talking about this new and that new and what your neighbor has and how you'd love. Oh, I see. And the Holy Spirit is, of course, pricking your heart at the same time. So the scripture tells us this. How, how do we run a race? How, how do we run the race? The scripture says by focusing on Jesus. Jesus is our example. He's a person just like us. In John 1.14 the apostle says this, is that the word became flesh. Jesus himself became a person. He was a person in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, that was like us in every area, actually been tempted just like we have been in every area, but he never sinned. What's so important is to understand, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% man. And he showed us how to do life. Jesus is also our means of faith. The one who initiates and perfects our faith. Faith starts with Jesus. Faith continues with Jesus. Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must also continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep in him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow in the truth you were taught. In our scripture, you see, Jesus even shows us how to endure. I mean, there's times we are made fun of, and there's times that it costs us to follow Jesus. I understand that. But as we read the scriptures, especially the gospels, on how Jesus was maligned, and how Jesus still endured, how Jesus was whipped, how Jesus was unjustly crucified, all this. Because he was obeying his father, but also looking at something different after the resurrection. So, run your race with knowledge that you will not receive all that God has promised until he returns. We sing songs. About Jesus coming back. We pray,
0: Father,
2: is it time? When is the King of Kings going to return? The scripture tells us it takes great faith. To put your hope in eternity. To run your race with endurance by trusting God's promises and obeying his word. Because all of your gratification and my gratification, for the most part, comes after we die. You mean to tell me you're gonna put all your eggs in this basket, that I'm gonna invest my finances, my time, all that I have, all of my gifts? Well, no, actually no one's making you. But the example here is that all these men and women didn't get any of the promises of God. Their hope was, well, when Jesus was going to come back, when eternity would start. He says, running the race means stripping down. And let me ask this. What good things in your life are restricting your run right now? In fact, could you just bow your heads? I'm going to ask two questions right before I pray, right before we close up. If we're all running a race, and if we're, our focus is right, ask yourself, Lord, are there things in my life that are weighing me down? Restricting me. Forcing me to focus more on myself rather than pleasing you or others. And secondly, if running well means confessing sin, having the picture of taking a step or two and tripping, taking another step or two and tripping, oh, that'd be exhausting, wouldn't it? What? is tripping you up right now than needs to be confessed. What has God been pricking at your heart? Do you need to say, I'm sorry to somebody? Do you need to talk to God about your thought life? Maybe about something you're worshiping more than God? A lack of obedience. Just be quiet for a moment. As you think about what good things and what evil things are keeping you from running your race wild. Father, the truth is, is that we all are running a race. And we're going to run the race with our eyes on us and make decisions and spend money that will just, well, please us. Or we're going to run a race And use all that we have, all the good, and use it for your honor and glory. We're gonna look at sin differently, how it's heinous, how it brings death. And we're going to ruthlessly and relentlessly own it, confess it deal with it so we can run our race. And someday, Father, when you return and all the saints of old, and if you were to even come today, we who are alive (laughs) will begin our time with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the reminder that you are so pleased with our faith. And would we, each one of us, grow in our faith? And would our church grow in our faith? In Jesus' name, amen.